I think that message needs to be more clear and more defined. So when players play, they play right. And they don't play at some ridiculous level of trying to make the, you know, the clothesline hit where they you know, look cool. It, it actually makes me think of one of the plays. It was actually at the Ohio State game. The wide receiver, one of our wide receivers made a crack block against the free safety. And it was one of the loudest hits that I think I've ever heard. And he came off the sidelines and he was the one that made the hit. And he came off the sidelines and his nose was bleeding like and it wasn't just a little bloody, like it was bleeding pretty bad. I was like, dude, like you could have made that block the same if you just went up and like blocked him and, and still hit him hard, but you didn't have to go in there and like sell your soul and like lead with your head. Hey everyone, this is Greg Jones, former Navy wide receiver and now host of Authentic Athletes. And now you're about to listen to Kevin and I talk about some awesome football and life lessons on the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports, health, and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life, but you can always control how you respond. This is my response, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week I'm interviewing Greg Jones, who is a veteran of the United States Navy and a graduate of the United States Naval Academy, where he was a standout wide receiver. Uh, Greg now hosts the Authentic Athletes podcast, where he interviews professional and college athletes with the goal of providing fun, motivating, and educational experiences for listeners based off uh, the life lessons learned by his interviewees. And he's had some legit people on there, you know, from the get-go. He's had every service academy coach, uh, Sean Merriman, Landon Donovan, event just to name a few and uh, I'm really excited to have uh, Greg on the podcast today and share more about what he's what his goals are with um, the Authentic Athletes podcast and about his football career at Navy and I'm, I think I wanted to start off by talking about his 52 uh, yard touchdown that he scored against Notre Dame so I think that's every kid's dream come true right there so <laughs> why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure, Kevin. Thanks a lot for having me on, man. I, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, man, Notre Dame, it's always been one of my, you know, m one of my favorite schools um, growing up. You know, my aunt and uncle used to always get me the Notre Dame jerseys for Christmas and, and you know, the T-shirts and stuff. So when I got the opportunity to play at the Division One level, I didn't get recruited by Notre Dame, but I got recruited by multiple schools that played against Notre Dame. And I was like, Hey, if you can't, you know, if you can't join them, beat them, you know? And yeah. so, um, the, the touchdown, man, it was, it was my junior year. And obviously, I mean, anybody who watches Navy or watches any of the service academies, they're very strategic, you know, running the triple option and the wide receivers don't get a lot of love, but when they do, it's normally for a big gain and it's for, you know, the, you know, the, the big touchdown or the big gain. Um, so what happened was we, we formed, um, you know, in the wishbone offense, you normally have a receiver on the right and left-hand side. And since they're both online, they're both eligible. And we had this formation where both receivers would go to the right-hand side or left-hand side. Okay. And the inside receiver, if they're both on the line, the inside receiver wasn't eligible. And we would run a couple plays. Um, we were running a couple plays with the ineligible receiver and Notre Dame was picking up on it. So they weren't even guarding the, the inside receiver cause he was just a decoy. Right. And so we ran this play where, you know, the, the cadence sounds and then we kind of look over to the sideline to see what play it was. And the outside receiver went off the line and the farthest guy on the left-hand side, um, the a back, which is the running back went on the line. So that made the inside receiver eligible. And when we, when we shifted formation while we were looking at the play, Notre Dame didn't pick up on it. And so we ran the play and I was the inside receiver and I just ran right up the middle of the field and, and Ricky Dobbs, the quarterback at the time hit me with a perfect ball. And, uh, so if you go back and you look at it on film, you can see a lot of the players kind of look over at their coaching staff saying like, Hey, this guy's ineligible, but we ran the play flawlessly. Like everyone did their job on the field to make sure that, you know, the inside receiver was, el was eligible. And I was, in the right place at the right time, you know, with that receiver. And, and it was, it was awesome, man. Just scoring in Notre Dame, just playing in Notre Dame, you know, that, that field and that stadium is just so traditional and it's so awesome. That's crazy. So, yeah. That's yeah, really cool, man. Being able to do that was, was pretty sweet. 
So you, did you guys do a lot of like trickery type stuff uh, at Navy? Uh, it's it's a lot of like, you know, it's there's misdirection, you know, but a lot of it is assignment football. You know, it's it's making sure that, you know, that person does their job and the quarterback's reading the right guy because it, it's all reads, right? Right. It's the triple option because he has multiple options. And if he reads it right, then there's really no defense that can stop it. You know, there's a lot of defenses that run multiple schemes per game and they're trying to figure out how to stop it or what to do. And so if the quarterback does the right call and the coaches have the right, um, you know, scheme going into the game, you know, it's, it's all about like X's and O's and making sure that we execute properly. You got that, uh, that play on YouTube or anything? Uh, yeah, I I believe it's on the, it's the Navy football highlights for the 2009 season. Okay. Um, I'm going to link that up in the show notes. Yeah. 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 For sure. Cool, man. Um, what was I going to say? So I, I completely blanked here. Um, oh, <laughs> Did I do that so many times during the podcast? <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, yeah, you, you think about like, you know, what you're talking about and you forget about what you wanted to ask next. <laughs> it's like, oh, crap. Um, okay, so what What ultimately, like, so I saw, I researched that you were a football and baseball and basketball player in high school. Um, yeah. Do you think that playing multiple sports helped you become a better football player or help you become a division one college football player. Yeah, I, I think it showed my versatility, you know, cause I actually got recruited as a quarterback and some of the guys, when they brought me in, it's kind of like, it says athlete, you know, because I could play multiple positions of okay. fit into their offensive scheme. And when, when I signed at, at Navy, I played quarterback first. I went to the prep school, which is the Naval County prep school. Cause the service academies are only four years, right? And a lot of the, a lot of the recruited athletes they go to the prep school for you know an extra year under the belt, kind of like a redshirt year. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Yeah, and I mean it's anyway. Um, so I went to the prep school, which is in Newport, Rhode Island, and so it gave me a lot of time to get used to the military obligation, get used to the actual offensive system with the triple option because I didn't run that in high school, and really get your feet wet with you know, the college atmosphere and, well, the military college atmosphere and, um, you know, getting bigger, faster, stronger kind of thing. And so, you know, going into the actual academy, being able to play multiple sports, I, it helped me adapt well into different positions. So I got recruited as quarterback. So I played quarterback and I was there, I was at a quarterback for maybe two weeks at the prep school. And then they moved me over to running back, which in the option offense, it's the a back. And so it's like the wing guys. Um, and so I played a back for like two and a half years. And then the middle of my sophomore year, they actually moved me over to wide receiver. Um, so I went from quarterback to a back to wide receiver. And that actually helped me learn the offense really well. So when I went to receiver, I knew the option offense and I knew why I was switching with the a back and why I was doing certain play calls and why the quarterback was audibling the play. You know, it helped me playing all those different positions helped me really learn the offense. Okay. Um, so you said that in high school you were a quarterback? Yes. So what what was it like when they, they changed your position? Like how did you kind of handle that? Was it like upsetting to you at, at first or? No, not really. I mean, I, I I just wanted to play. You know, and when my year when we got recruited, we had seven quarterbacks go to the prep school. And so they were trying to figure out who to play where and which athletes to put on the field. And so they, they were like, Hey, we have another quarterback who was actually starting quarterback for, for Navy for about three years. His name's Ricky Dobbs. Um, he was the same year I was. And this kid was just a tank, you know, with the triple option offense, the quarterback is taking hits, you know, and I was just like buck 60 guy coming out of high school who was just fast so, and I had some like good juke moves and stuff, but I couldn't take on linebackers. You know, I couldn't, you know, take on defensive ends if I was going to pitch the ball or hand the ball off to the fullback, you know? So they were like, Hey, we want to get this guy in a different position because we want to put the ball in his hands. So they put me into running back. And so I was fine with it. You know, I, I understood the coaching aspect of it and understood why they were moving me. Okay. So why did you choose Navy over any other school? That's a good question. So to be honest, at a high school, I had very little knowledge about the academies and I got recruited by the air force Academy 
the Naval Academy and Rice. And I took recruiting visits to Air Force and Navy. And when I went to Air Force first, the elevation, I think I got elevation poisoning or whatever you want to call it. And I ended up throwing up the whole time I was there. So I didn't have a good experience at all. And I came back just with that like sour taste in my mouth. Like, man, I don't know if I want to go there. Yeah, that's a sign right there. <laughs> yeah. So so I took the like two weeks later, I took the recruiting visit to the Naval Academy. And, you know, the, the coaches were great. The players, I just connected so well, like my personality connected with them. And I knew coming out of high school, I wanted to do something different. And I definitely knew I wanted to play at the division one level. And so I thought, hey, this program is winning. They have a bright future ahead of them. You know, and somebody said like, hey, go where they're winning, you know, because you're going to have most fun there. So I chose the academy. um, And, you know, it was it was great. You know, obviously, I had a lot of ups and downs. And there were times where I wanted to leave. And I think that goes through, you know, everyone's mind when they're there, when they're there. But, you know, it was it was just so such a true blessing for me to get the opportunity and to actually go and finish and graduate. Um, so, I mean, that's probably the reason why I wanted to go was, was really to, to do something different and, you know, to play division one football. Good reasons. Yeah. Um, what were the down moments that made you want to not be there? Like, can you talk about that? Like what led to those down moments and how did you kind of overcome them? You know, while you were in school, dude, there's so many, man. And a lot of them is, is the military obligation. You know, you're an 18, 19 year old kid and you think that this next decision is going to, I mean, it obviously affects the rest of your life, but you think it's, you know, life or death kind of thing. And I remember going there in the first couple of years, I was looking on Facebook and, and that's when Facebook was like growing at a ridiculous rate. And so many pictures of friends, like frat parties and like going out with girls and like all this stuff. And I'm sitting there, you know, in my room, just like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, why, like, why am I here? You know, there's, there's, it's, it's more mental than physical than anything, you know, and, and especially at the time that you're at and the age you're at, it's, it's tough to swallow that pill, you know, seeing that you're away from home and you're homesick and you're seeing all of your friends from home doing a lot of fun things and living on their own for the first time, not having curfews. And, you know, it's, it was a lot of fun. And luckily I had a girlfriend who's my wife now and she was so positive and so pushing me to like, you know, hey, see the bigger picture, see the bigger picture. And, you know, she and, and my mom just really helped me put things into perspective. Yeah, that's that's a good I, I just interviewed a, a, an army ranger last week and he said he went to West Point. He said something yeah. similar. Like, do you think that being in the social media world, like, does that make you know, on your podcast, you talk a lot about athlete transition and to life after sports or after military mm-hmm. life. So do you think that the social media world that we live in, does that make it harder for athletes to make that transition because they see all this other stuff that's going on around them? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Dude, absolutely, man. I, I definitely think that social media is making it a lot more difficult, um, especially for guys that going to the academies and stuff. You know, all social media is is just a filter on on your life, right? I mean, it's just showing like all the positives of, hey, I just went to this location and I traveled here and I got this job promotion or whatever it is. You know, it's it's a it's highlight reel, yeah. It, exactly. You know, I mean, it's it's good, you know, but it's it's one of those kind of things where you're like just showcasing the good in life, right? And it, that's that's difficult because other people see that and like, hey, I want that, and then the jealousy comes out, and then you know, the, you know, and then people get upset because they're not doing what the other person is doing, but you have to take a look back and be like, Hey, it's not all, you know, the grass isn't greener on the other side, you know, make sure you're constantly focusing on doing what you're doing and know that you're trying to better yourself. So I definitely think that social media is, is playing a role in today's society with, you know, the academies or somebody who's playing in, in a certain level of sports and looking at what the fans are doing or vice versa, you know? Yeah, that's that's good advice though, that, that you gave them to combat those feelings. Yeah. Uh, so being at Navy, you guys are kind of like, you guys had success, but I feel like in, you go into most games against these big-time schools, usually mm-hmm. like the underdog, right? Yeah, oh yeah. So how does that dynamic work 
with you know being on Navy? Like, how do you guys use that to your advantage? Yeah, you know, I think every team does this, right? There's always going to be a favored and an underdog team, and no one thinks that the underdog team can win. You know, that's why they're their underdogs. Yeah. Uh, you know, but going into it, you know, you believe in yourself. You believe in your teammates. You guys put in a lot of work to get to where you are. And, you know, understanding like, hey, there's a lot of doubters out there, but you just have to push them aside and say, hey, we're going to play our game. You know, as long as you play your game, you guys are going to be really difficult to beat. You know, minimize those mistakes and minimize, you know, minimize the mistakes so you guys can go out there and really execute flawlessly and run the game plan that the coaches have and trust in the game plan that the coaches have. You know, there's a lot of players and a lot of coaches out there that, you know, don't trust the system. Right. And so going into games, you know, you have to really understand that the person to the right and to the left of you, your brothers who you're playing with, they're going to do their job. You're going to do your job to hundred percent. And, you have to trust in the coaches and the coaches have to trust in the players, you know, and, and doing so and doing that and believing is just so much that mentality of going into a game just helps so much. And you can tell by the way that you're playing, you know, we, uh, we actually played, it was my junior year. We played Ohio state and it was when Terrell Pryor was quarterback and this dude, man, it was, it was the first game of the year and Terrell Pryor obviously was just getting so much, you know, recognition and it was military appreciation day for Ohio state. And we got to play in the horseshoe, which was like 110,000 people. And I can remember walking down to the field one, um, excuse me, we were lining up in line to like shake hands with the Ohio state players, just kind of like as a, Hey, thank you for your service or your future service that you're going to do kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and Terrell Pryor was the very last person in line, and he didn't shake anybody's hand. What? And yeah, and he was obviously just like a flawless athlete. But they just came into it like, "Hey, we're gonna like pretty much smoke beat you guys. guys. Like, yeah. yeah, like it's not gonna be a contest." And we ended up, we ended up scoring a touchdown with like two minutes left in the game, and we were down by two. So we went for a two point conversion, and they ended up intercepting the pass and running it like 99 yards for a, not a touchdown, but like an additional two points. So they beat us by four, but we were so close to the game and so close to beating them or tying them to like put the game. But you could tell they were like, Oh man, these guys came to play, you know? And so many people doubted Navy and that happens so much with the service academies too, because they're like, Hey, there's service Academy guys. They're going to play really hard, but you know, we're just going to out athletic, you know out right we're just better athletes so yeah yeah so you know going and and actually understanding like hey they're gonna have that mentality so we're gonna take advantage of that mentality and we're gonna go out there and we're gonna punch them in the mouth and they're gonna be like "Uh uh-oh this is gonna be a long game and we need (laughs) we better play you know and and we better get on our a game so going back to when you were talking about how when you're at the academy and you see all your friends going out and partying and hanging out with girls and stuff like that you know everyone on your team feels the same way that you feel you know they're still looking at their facebook you know news feed and seeing the same Mm -hmm. things do you think that the brotherhood that you guys kind of forge is stronger because of that absolutely man i mean you you go through ups and downs and not just because of the stuff that you see outside but you guys are you guys become a unit because you know you you go through so much together you know and it's everything from off the field and on the field to, you know, summers where you guys are staying together. And at the, at the Naval Academy there, the summers are split up into four blocks. There's like block zero, one, two, and three. And block zero is normally over graduation week. And each block has, each student gets assignments for each block. So there's like leave one block, there's summer school, one block, you know, there's military training, one block. And a lot of the athletes always do the military training in block zero. And so that was actually a really fun time to get close to your players and your athletes because all of the football players go to their military, you know, um, assignment or their summer assignment, you know, and it's either at, you know, a naval station in Florida or Norfolk or San Diego. And so you're there and you guys are just like, 
outside of football, you know, but you guys are together and you only know each other that's there. So you're hanging out with each other all the time and just going through the same thing, you know, that, that, that camaraderie that you guys build together is so much more and so much greater than, you know, just what you share with, you know, looking at each other on Facebook and on the, on the newsfeed and seeing like, man, my friends are doing this. And he's like, Oh yeah, me too. Kind of thing. Right. And there's so much more that you go through, um, you know, take plebe summer and stuff together. You know, there's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you guys have in common, um, that you share and it's something that not a lot of other people go through. And that's what makes that bond even greater. Uh, cool, man. So, in, in college football, I think one of my favorite games to watch is Army Navy. Mm-hmm. So, can you kind of describe like what it's like to walk out on the field for like an Army Navy game? Like, what's the atmosphere like, and maybe like what's like some of your favorite memories from from those games that you played in? Oh man, the Army Navy game is. I would say it's like the cherry on top, but the bowl games. If if you know you have a season where you make a bowl. The bowl games are really the cherry on top, but the Army Navy game is one that you look forward to all year, you know, and because they moved it back a weekend. So it's the only game that weekend and just all the festivities leading up to it, you know, all the coaches and all the fans and all the players, they just you just know, you know, you you know that it's that week and it's rivalry week. You know, it's you go out there and you guys you respect Army and Air Force when you're not playing them, but when you're playing them, you know, you want to knock them in the teeth and you want to beat them. Um, so just the atmosphere in general, like if anyone listening to this has the opportunity to go to Army Navy game, I would highly recommend it because you see so much outside of just actual football. You know, you see people coming together and you see military members coming together and just all the camaraderie and help and all the fans and everything is just it's a surreal experience, you know, and, and I think what makes it so great to someone said this, well, Brian Stan said this on, on our podcast. He said, it's the only game where the players on the field are willing to fight for the people watching, meaning after they graduate, they're going to go fight, you know, in, you know, they're going to be in the military and they're going to serve for everyone that's watching. And that right there, it it gave me chills. You know, I was like, man, that's so true. And I just think that alone is something that makes the game and just the atmosphere so awesome. Yeah, it's definitely on my bucket list to to go to one of those games. I've I've worked at Rutgers football, so I've been to a Navy game, you know, in in Annapolis, and I've been to a bunch of uh, West games at West Point because I live pretty close to there. But I've never been to the two combined, so that's definitely on my bucket list. And plus you guys for that game, you get really swagged out. You always, guys always got the cool uniforms, <laughs> they do, man. They do now, man. They was so when, when I was playing, um, they had just started changing up the uniforms a little bit. And then Navy switched over from Nike to under armor. And then under armor started just like blowing up their uniforms. Yeah. And then Nike was like, Hey, we're going to do the same thing. So every year, man, it comes out and you're like waiting to see what uniforms. And they just, they seriously swag them out too. They give them shoes. They give them, you know, warm ups, t shirts, you know, you name it. Um, but you're so right. Like I had just graduated and then they switched over to Under Armour and then they just started exploding with all of this apparel and all this gear. Like, why, not, good... yeah, why not three years earlier? <laughs> Dude, yeah, I mean it's it's definitely a recruiting tool too, man. Just one the game alone and then all the stuff that you get and just being in the atmosphere of going to the Army Navy game all four years that you're there is it's a guarantee that you're gonna go. You know, because it's the the game is going to happen. Right. And so just like that recruiting tool and just having that card where the coaches can go to, you know, parents and be like, you guys are going to go to the Army Navy game. You know, it's it's going to be pretty sweet. So, yeah, it's basically it's, like uh, a, a guaranteed bowl game every yeah. year. Yeah, that's really. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. I never thought about it that way, but that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So did you suffer any injuries throughout your career? So um, in high school, I had a couple of concussions. Um, while playing at Navy, I was pretty fortunate at Navy. I had, you know, a couple ankle sprains and hip flexors and a couple shoulder injuries, but nothing too serious. Did any of those keep you out of the game? No, no, I, I never had anything that, that kept me out of the game. A couple out of practice, you know, but it, uh, 
it was like precautionary measures. You know, right. it was like, hey, we don't want you to practice today. Um, but well, that's you know, other than that, yeah, like, I was, that, that's I was interesting though because uh, you'd think you know I'm big on like the culture of toughness in sports. And yeah. I would think that that would be like on steroids at a school like the Naval Academy. So how did you, did you ever feel like pressured to, you know, practice when you were hurt or were they really good about kind of like letting you heal up so you can play in the game? I, uh, I mean, <laughs> there's a little pressure, you know, because you want to go out there and you don't want someone to take your job. Right. You know, you, and, and obviously playing you know the game is a lot different than than practice but you know you practice like you play so you want to go out there and you want to practice and you want to show the coaches that you're at 100 percent and that you're playing and they trust in you to you know run that you know 30 40 yard route to catch the ball you know because you practiced it in practice so there was definitely like a little pressure to go practice but it was never pressure from the coaches it was pressure from you know internally you know myself saying hey you know, if you don't do this and someone's going to take your job or the coach is going to have more confidence in, you know, the guy next to you to go do the same thing. And I didn't want that. I was competitive on that side. So I always wanted to go out there and practice. Yeah. And I, I resonate with what you're saying, but like when I think about it, like that dynamic and like guys afraid to miss, like lose their job and stuff like that leads to injuries like what happened to me where I play with a concussion because you know I was trying to be this tough guy and almost like kill myself like yeah in the process so and I think you know I think my point of view is a little different because I never had a very serious injury you know like you I, I never had like a concussion where I was out from a couple hours um you know I, I had concussions in high school but you know in high school they really really make sure that you're if you're injured like you're not playing you know, they're very protective. Can you, um, can you tell us a little bit about the concussions you got in high school? Like how you how you got them and like what symptoms you had and how they were managed and stuff? Yeah, yeah. So I had, I believe I had three concussions in high school. And a couple of them were just bell ringers. And they were pretty mild concussions. But there was one serious one that I, I just took a hit. It was a helmet-to-helmet hit. And, you know, I was running full speed one way. And the defender, you know, was coming at me the same speed the same he was coming at me full speed as well and we just hit heads and I don't, I don't know what happened to him but I had to come out and then I didn't go in for the rest of the game and I was I was fine um for a couple of hours after because it when when it happened I was on JV in high school and we had I went to a very large school in San Antonio and so there were two JV teams there was an A team and a B team and the other team went on the field to play after after the team that I was on played. And so I remember sitting with all of my buddies, you know, we were watching them play and I was laughing and stuff like that, but I had a headache and I was like, man, like I can't shake this. And I was, I was thinking maybe I'm dehydrated. I need to get some more water and more fluids in my system. Talking yourself out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I really was. And, and then I can remember, I was like, man, I just don't feel good. And so they actually finished their game. So it was, a, it was like a two and a half hour game and they finished their game and then we went back into the locker room and then right when I got back into the locker room I just started throwing up that's a and, pretty severe symptom yep yeah and and so I was like man what is going on so I called my mom and my mom was like hey you probably have a concussion so we went to the emergency room and they did you know everything that they were they were supposed to do um but it was really just I went home and and was just resting and uh, my mom was just checking up on me every every couple hours um but I mean, those were that was probably like the extent of the worst concussion that I've had. Again, I've been going through this. Some of my buddies had very serious injuries, and I'm thinking like, man, I was very fortunate not to have a lot of you know any broken bones, you know, any any tear in the knees or anything like that. You know, I was I was very fortunate with with that. Do you think that that's the case? Do you think it's like pure luck, or do you think it was like the way that you played? I, I think. A little bit of both, man. I mean, obviously, I was never in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, I, one of my buddies tore his ACL, and it was actually in the Notre Dame game. Um, he was a he was a, a year under me, and his senior year, the he was a wide receiver, and the A back when the free safety, you know, comes up a little bit, and they're running to that side. 
you can switch block with the A back. And so the wide receiver comes in and he cracks the safety and then the, the running back goes and gets the corner that's on the wide receiver. Well, when that happened, that free safety just blitzed. And so the, the wide receiver, my buddy, instead of like taking a couple of steps up, like five yards up and then going to crack, he just immediately went down to go crack him. And a defensive lineman came and just rolled over his knee, you know? Yeah. And so that was just wrong place at the wrong time, you know? And, and so with, I mean, that's, that's like kind of on the luck side. Like that's, that was bad luck in my opinion, but I think I was fairly smart with the way I played. You know, I would, I would never, um, you know, I was, I was a lot of effort all the time, you know, and obviously we graded efforts, you know, I'm sure like every other team, but, um, you know, making sure that our effort was at 110%. Yeah. Counting loafs and stuff. But yeah, yeah. But I just, we just wanted to make sure that we were playing smart, you know, not diving at the back of people's knees or, you know, going into a pile when, you know, you're, you know, you're not supposed to kind of thing, you know, that I, I think there was some strategy around the way I played to make sure that I wasn't getting injured, but I was playing at 110% and wanting to do my job to make sure that our team, you know, trusted in me and, and vice versa. I love that dude, because like I I say it a lot on the podcast that when I look back on my football career, I don't regret the fact that I played football. I regret how I played football. Like I was the kind of guy who like sought out contact, tried to freaking stick my face in your throat, like trying to run you over. Like I just loved like running someone over and feeling like I dominated them. And you know what I mean? Like I I, like lived for that. Yeah, man. And you see it so much, man. You see it at, at the, you know, little league level. Yeah. It's stupid though. It's literally stupidity. Yeah. Yeah. And you see kids just like lowering their heads and just like going to hit. And you're like, man, the coaches need to, the coaches need to fix that right away. Yeah, instead of being like, "Oh not, yeah, nice hit, dude!" Like that's yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, the, the coaches need to fix that because if not, they're going to continue to do that, and then they're going to hurt themselves. You know, they're going to hurt somebody else, but they're going to hurt themselves even worse, and it's probably going to be a neck injury because they're not looking or they they were never taught the right way to tackle. Right, or they were enforced for doing the wrong tackle. Because I mean, like as a exactly, yeah. as a spectator, we've been like conditioned to, you know applaud those when we hear that smack of the helmet or like a huge hit like we're conditioned to like cheer for that even though in reality that's like not a good thing so yeah dude that's so true man and i was watching a special on um the seahawks head coach Pete carroll yeah how they're trying to change the way that their players tackle and instead of leading with the head they're leading with the shoulder and i thought that was pretty interesting i was like huh I think there was like a Nike commercial on it or something like that. Um, they were talking about how the way that they're tackling to prevent injuries and to prevent head injuries, they're leading with the shoulder and then they're wrapping the guys up and they're waiting for their other teammates to come and, and help them. Yeah. Tackle finish them off. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I was like, man, that's really smart. Cause you're not running full speed or putting your head down in the dude's chest and putting your neck at risk. I really like what you, what you said there, Greg, that was, that was great. Uh, in terms of like player health and safety stuff. Yeah. Um, so once your football career ended at Navy, you know, what was your transition to military life like? And what were some of your struggles that you came across during that time? Yeah, man. So obviously hanging up the pads, you know, it's an emotional time, um, knowing that you're not going to put it back on. But, you know, you definitely rely on, on your teammates and stuff because they're going through the same thing. Um, you know, my transition from football to the military, it was a little more difficult than I had anticipated. Um, same with the military to the civilian transition. The Naval Academy does a very good job at, at setting you up for success in the military, right? But they don't talk a lot about the actual fleet. You know, there's the fleet is like the term for the actual, like being in the military. Okay. And so we're at the Academy and then you graduate and you go into the fleet. And so you're leading a bunch of sailors and Marines, but a lot of the guys that you're surrounding yourself with are other officers and you see how they interact with one another. You're a college kid who's 22, 23 years old, and you're going to lead sailors and Marines who are 
upwards of like 40 and 45 years old, you know, so you have to go in there and you really have to understand like, hey, I learned this in like leadership class. I learned this, you know, from when this lecture came and, and spoke to us, um, you know, so there was a lot of stuff that I took from the Naval Academy and tried to apply it. But at the same time, you just want to be like a real person and you want to understand the situation that people are going through and try and adapt and give them the best advice and, and, you know, put in processes that help out them or your team, you know, or your squad, you know, whatever you're leading. Um, but I mean, it was a little difficult just because it was change, you know, and it was kind of that unknown, you know, you're putting your feet and you're literally just like pushed in and said, Hey, you know, you're an officer, so you got to lead these guys. And you're like, okay, well, I know nothing about these guys. Right. I got to learn the system too. You know, I have to get qualified. You know, there's a lot on your plate there. And, and just making sure that you know how to juggle everything is, is probably one of the, the best things that I try to do, you know, because you can get overwhelmed very easily. And that was, you know, that, that trying to balance everything and try to do it all at once, you know, was really difficult. And it was something that I had to take a step back and say, okay, look, let's focus on like my men first. And then let's focus on me getting qualified, you know, and then let's focus on the mission, you know, not no order there, but, you know, just dividing it up and making sure that I spent 110% of my focus on one thing at a time that helped me stay structured and help me grow as an officer. Yeah, I really, I like that. And then a lot of my military guests have said similar things and that like, what's your 45 meter target? Like what's the thing that's like most, you know, threatening at the moment. Right. And focus on that, get that job done and then continue on with the rest of the stuff that you're saying that you're trying to juggle around. Yeah, man, Um, absolutely. Cause if not, I mean, you're in the military and a lot of these guys are, a lot of my buddies are Marines, you know, so they're going and there's lives at stake. So they really have to hunker down and there's no, there's, there's very little room for error, you know? So um, making sure, like you said, you know, focusing on one thing at a time, which most important what's right in front of you. So you can get that achieved and accomplished and then move on to the next one. You said that's true. Um, so what did exactly did you do uh, in the Navy? Like what was your job? Yeah. So I, when I graduated, I went into the Navy when you graduate, you're an ensign, which is the rank. And then you, depending on what station you go to, that's where they decide like what job you get. So coming out of the Naval Academy, there's a lot of different jobs that you can get. You know, there's, you can go to the SEAL community, you can go into the intelligence world, you can go into submarines, you can fly. And then there's surface warfare. And that's officers that when you, when you graduate, you literally go to a ship and they put you into a division. So I was a surface warfare officer and I got stationed in San Diego on a minesweeper and a minesweeper is like the smallest ship in the Navy. It's still a wooden hole. And they're really only stationed in San Diego and Bahrain. And so I was in charge. I was, when I got there, my division was, or my job was the first lieutenant, which meant everything that you look at on a ship was pretty much what I was in charge of. So I was in charge of making sure my guys knew how to run the equipment right, that the hole was painted properly, that you know, they had all the equipment to make sure that they were mission ready. Um, but you know, there's a lot of different departments, you know, there's engineering department, there's navigation, you know, so it just depends on when you go to that ship, what department is available or needs an officer there to go. And so I, (laughs) I lucked out and I got first Lieutenant, you know, that's a relatively easier job on a ship. Um, a lot of my buddies, they were into the engineering department, which it's not easier or, or more difficult. It's just longer hours, you know, because if the ship can't like set sail, you know, and, and get off the pier, then, you know, there's something wrong with the engines, right? That's and a problem. Yeah. Most, yeah, most case. So the engineering team is they're, they're pulling like all nights and stuff And the ship. I was on a minesweeper. Those things broke down all the time. And so the engineering team was like constantly on the ship. I felt so bad for him. Uh, what exactly like is a minesweeper? Like what, what's its role? Yeah, it's, it's really like to sweep mines. Like, Oh, literally. Okay. It, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like We, I guess the, really the only time we used them was in Bahrain with the Strait of Hormuz. Um, they were, you know, a, a lot of the enemies were thinking about putting mines in the water 
So the minesweepers would go out there and pretty much patrol. And there's different ways to deactivate mines and stuff like that. But um, that's really like the main mission of a minesweeper is to sweep for mines to make sure that there's nothing in the water. And these things are just like floating around in there like – yeah, there's, I mean, there's different types of mines, you know, there's, and, and they used to use them in like the World War II days and stuff, but they're pretty uncommon now. Um, they can float, you know, in the water or there's like, um, there's other mines that, you know, attach to the metal holes of the ship. Um, there's mines that they attach to a chain and then put the anchor down on the seafloor and then have the mine just kind of floating, not on top of the surface, but very close where you can't see it. Um, so there's just like different, different types of mines and there's different ways for you to go and deactivate those. Okay. Interesting. I was kind of thinking when you were saying about how like you were in charge of pretty much everything that you see on the ship is like, just like how you kind of switched positions around, like you were quarterback and running back and wide receiver and like how you had kind of like knew everything about the offense. Like, yeah, did that help you at all when you made that transition onto the ship? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, being able to be versatile and really, I guess, like having that background of playing quarterback and then running back and then wide receiver, going to the ship, it helped me saying, hey, okay, right now I'm in the quarterback position. I am trying to learn as much as I can, but I'm also trying – to go and talk to other officers to make sure that, you know, why are the antennas like at this height, you know, with the radio guys or like the engineering guys, you know, trying to go and talk to them so I can learn as much as I can. And that helps you as an officer. So you obviously for knowledge, but as an officer, one of your main goals when you get to a ship is to qualify and get your surface warfare pin, uh, meaning like you're a qualified officer. And that's usually when captains and, and CEOs of ships have a, more trust in you because that means that you know the ship well and you know the mission well. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that really did help out a lot, playing those three positions and understanding which the role of each position and how I could bring those all together for the overall team goal of running the offense and you know overall executing that. Like the booby miles of, of the Navy. <laughs> and he can pass. <laughs> and he can throw. Yeah. He can catch. Yeah, yeah. He can do it all. Um, <laughs> So what was like when you were in the Navy on the ship, what would, mm-hmm. do you remember like a time where you were like, damn, I miss football. Like what was like the trigger for that moment? If, if it happened dude, for sure, man, I mean, you're, it, it's a change, man, because it all happens in a year. You know, you, you, your season ends in December or if you're lucky enough to go into January and then you graduate in May and then you literally have some time off, you know, call it a month. And then you go to your duty station, you know, so when you get to your duty station, it's July ish, July, August, and then a month later, football starts. And during that time, you're usually gearing up ready for camp. And so you're sitting there like, oh, man, you know, kind of antsy. And you get to your ship and during lunchtime, they normally have the TV on and there's football on or there's highlights or there's, you know, ESPN or whatever it is. So you're sitting there like, oh, man. Like that used to be me, but now I'm not playing anymore, you know, so that it, it, it was difficult. It's a difficult transition. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you've been doing it for so long that, you know, it, it obviously, it all of a sudden stops and you still have that itch and that drive to want to do it and want to play and want to go play with your teammates because you know, all the guys still on that team and you want to go over to one and be like, Hey dude, it's okay if you fumbled or if you made a mistake or if they scored a touchdown, go and celebrate with them. You know, so you find yourself like on the ship cheering and all excited, wanting to express your feelings and wanting to motivate the guys and to be a teammate. But you know, you, you're not a part of the team anymore. So it was, uh, it it was, it was tough. You know, it's, it's bittersweet, I guess I'll I'll put it like that. Yeah. Did you develop any strategies to kind of like cope with those feelings or? Um, I mean, so really just talk, talk with people and talk with, you know, your friends and a lot of times, you know, I would call my buddies and we would just talk about funny stories that happened, you know, and, uh, and that normally kind of let things loose a little bit. And then you would also kind of talk about like, oh man, but remember when we had to do this, 
you know, when it was kind of like the, the bad times of going through camp and going through two a days, you know, or someone getting, you know, full body cramps or something, you know, you're like, yeah, actually, you know, I don't really miss that. Yeah. So I, I miss the game and I miss the camaraderie of the, of, you know, the coaches and, and the brothers that I was playing with. But, you know, you're right. Like, you know, sweating out, you know, five, 10 gallons of, of just water and getting full body cramps, you know, especially for the linemen. Yeah. I, I don't really miss that. So <laughs> you're right. Like, you know, you, you just talk it out and normally you talk it out with your fellow teammates that are going through the same position that you're going through. Okay. Uh, do you think that like being a, a Naval officer helped you like find a new identity? Cause you were kind of like given this new identity, uh, you know, in your transition to football or did it, was it too different to help? Meaning what? Like when I graduated, I was an officer. Right. I, I mean, like, like when I couldn't play football anymore, I was just like a normal student, like anyone else. But like, yeah. I mean, at least I guess this might be like how I view a naval officer. Like, I think it's like a pretty sweet thing and a very yeah. honorable thing and a, a cool thing that I would want to identify as. But I lack that in my transition to finding a new identity that's not an athlete. So I was wondering if you think, I guess you probably wouldn't know because you didn't go the other route, but you think <laughs> that might have helped you, you know, build a new identity in, in the process. I don't know. Yeah. I, well, yeah, I think so because you're looking forward to it. It's something that when you finish playing football at the, one of the academies, as long as you make it through the last, you know, six months of school, you're guaranteed a commission. You know, you're a commission as an commissioned officer in the military. And so you have something to look forward to. You know, I guess as a student and especially as an athlete, if you play football at Rutgers and then you don't get drafted, then you have that unknown. You're like, man, what am I going to do? Right. You know, and and I guess from my point of view and from my, you know, experience i had that being a naval officer to look forward to and to have that you know title connected with my name was really something that i took pride in you know and it was something that i looked forward to after playing football and it helped me kind of overshadow not playing football anymore yeah distract you a little bit yeah yeah exactly all right so but eventually you had to deal with another transition going into civilian life where you did feel that feeling. So I guess I wasn't too far off on that question. (laughs) So can you tell, so that, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Yeah, man, that was, that was a little more difficult. And that's one of the reasons why I started the authentic Athletes podcast. Um, my transition from the military to the civilian life was, was a little more difficult than I had anticipated. You know, the Naval Academy, they, are building you to be an officer, right? They're not giving you classes of, you know, what to do after the military life, right? They're providing you leadership classes. Well, they probably and, want you to stick around, right? Well, exactly. Yeah. I yeah, mean, they, they don't want to be like, oh yeah, this is how you like get away from us. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're investing so much time and so much money in you, you know, obviously you have to pay, pay it back, but they want you to extend your career after that and going to the Naval Academy, they're like, Hey guys, we provide you with so much leadership. We provide you with so much, you know, education and opportunities that we want you to stick with it and stick around, you know? And so, I mean, a lot of people get out, you know, and there's nothing wrong with it. And a lot of people stay in, you know, but when I got out, I was like, Oh, Hey, I have a degree from the Naval Academy. You know, I don't really know what I want to do, but you know, since I have this, I'll be okay. And I was actually talking with this about with Brian Stan and Brian was like, yeah, that's cool. But, you know, you actually have to go out there and show people your value now. You know, you, you have to go out there and sell yourself. And so that was very difficult for me to be like, to actually like sell myself. Cause I've always been like a pretty humbled person. Right. Your, so your actions like, action hey. speak for you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, actually going out there and talking about myself, I was like, man, am I talking too much? Am I talking too little? You know, do they understand what this means? You know, so there's, there's a lot of programs that help out with that too, especially on your resume building, because you do a lot of stuff in the military 
but transferring that into actual like civilian terms is is pretty difficult um so uh, there's a lot of programs that help you change your resume a little bit so it's like hey instead of saying like you know you're in charge of xyz tanker and in this part of the world you know doing this mission it's like hey you know you led 12 people you know through this you know Right. Tra- know. Translatable you know, skills. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, there's, you're there's not going to be yeah, driving a ship in a, a corporate office. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so that's probably what was the most difficult was understanding that you have to now put yourself out there and sell yourself and do it without, you can't rely on just like your actions to do it. Like I did with football. I was like, Oh, Hey, I'll just go out there and play. You know, you actually have to go out there and sell yourself and talk about yourself, um, and express your value of why that company should hire you. So that was probably the most difficult. Okay. So what was like the trigger that was like, you know what? I'm starting the authentic athletes podcast. Like where did the idea come from? And then, yeah, tell us like a little bit about, you know, what you're all about. So when I graduated in 2011, spent time in the Navy and I actually got out a little early. Um, cause I had, I actually had some back issues that, that arose. And at the time, it was when the government was going through the whole sequestration thing and they were like, Hey, you can either get in or stay out. But if you, or sorry, <laughs> you can either stay in or get out. If you get out, you won't owe us anything. You know, we won't owe you anything. You just kind of go on your way. Um, so I decided to get out because I wanted to go more of an entrepreneurial route and go into the business world. And so I got an opportunity to work at a company called misfit, which is similar to Fitbit and jawbone. You know, it's, activity trackers and did really well with them. You know, we, um, you know, running their international business, you know, on both sales and, and strategic partnerships. And then they got acquired by fossil, the watch company. Okay. And so when they got bought, I moved over to another startup and that startup, you know, wasn't doing so hot. So I decided to leave and I was like, Hey, I want to start something on my own because I have that entrepreneurial bug. And when I was getting, you know, when I was leaving that that second startup, it was at the time when a, a lot of my buddies were getting out of the military. It was like their time was up. And a lot of them were calling me because I had done it before. And they were saying, hey, what's going on? What do I do? How do I, you know, get prepared? How do I do this? And I was like, man, after one after another call came in, I was thinking, hey, this is kind of a problem, you know. So I searched because I was a big podcast guy, you know, listening to Tim Ferriss and Bigger Pockets, you know, all those guys. But I, uh, I was like, there's got to be some type of motivational podcast out there where someone's talking to athletes and seeing what they learn from their sport. Because I utilized a lot of lessons from football and applied that to my life through those multiple transitions, and I couldn't really find anything. So I decided to start it, and I was like, hey, I have some connections, you know, I have. A pretty good network of people that I know that I think would be a good story to tell and overall help people learn from those athletes and what those athletes learn from their sport and the life lessons that they apply in their life. So the listeners can take that and learn and put it in their toolbox so they can use those whenever they're going through a transition or whenever they're going through some type of situation in their life. And so that's really where Authentic Athletes came up was was really starting that out. Yeah, that's why I was so excited to find, you know, come across your podcast on Instagram and have you on the podcast because I think that your show is a great resource for people who might like my show too. So Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a really cool fit and a cool niche that that you're in and it's cool how you've translated, you know, all your um skills from from sports into everyday life now. So yeah, man. based Thank off of some of the crazy interviews that you've had, I'm like, I'm still in amazement of like who you've got on the show. Um, <laughs> Thank you. But you know, what were like some of the lessons that you didn't really think of that some of your guests brought up that people can translate to, uh, to their lives? Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the ones I think of is I recently had on Mike Lee who's a professional boxer and he actually trains with Evander Holyfield and the dude is 19 and 0. He is a rock solid guy, Notre Dame grad. And he put it into perspective 
it's, it's something so simple. He, he just said, control the controllables. And I thought, I thought to myself, I was like, man, that's so true. Like I always try to control things that I can't control, or I always stress out about what another person, what decision they're going to make. You know, I can't control that. And so his message was really, you know, control what you can control. And he put it as every time he goes into a boxing ring or trains for a fight, he can control the training that he does. You know, he can't control the training or how his opponent trains. So he wants to go in there and make sure that he puts in 100% effort and he controls how well, you know, he throws jabs and he throws punches and how he's strategic on it, both mentally and physically. And I was like, man, that's so true. Like, that's so easy that anybody can take from from that sport and what he learned from boxing and they can apply it in their life to any situation. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. I had one of my f- former guests uh, say the same thing, actually. Um, it was a Rutgers football player who tore his ACL three times. And, yeah, like in terms of uh, injuries, you know, like you can't control getting injured, obviously, yeah. or else no one would get injured. Uh, but you can always control like how you respond right to to that injury you know with your rehab what you're putting in your body are you going to go out on friday night or you know stay in and make sure that you're exactly doing the right stuff so yeah yeah, yeah for that, sure man that's so true to, and it's so funny you say that um sorry to interrupt but no. um our you know talking about like rehabbing and and you know the injuries that that athletes face and, and that what they go through and and how they respond to it something that our trainer at navy always used to say he was he always used to say the most common injury is re-injury and i took that and i was like man so if i sprain my ankle and then i go out there and i play and i don't rehab it right and i sprain it again like it's gonna hurt even worse and it's it's just like the chances of me hurting that ankle again just go up so much. And I was like, so if I don't go in and, tr- and train properly and get the proper rehab, you know, chances are high that I'm not going to be able to go out there and play. Um, you know, so just going out there and, and just knowing and having that in the back of your mind, like the most common injury is re-injury. I was like, man, that's, that's something to take, you know, it's especially for athletes. Yeah. I've never heard anyone on my show say that. And I, I really like that message. That's, I like that. Um, yeah. so as we kind of wrap up here, yeah. Um, what are your, some of your thoughts on like player safety in football? Like some of the new rule changes, um, and you being a wide receiver, you know, there's I always get so fired up when like there's a defenseless receiver and they get like lit up or someone goes for their knee. Like to me, it's just like so stupid and like caveman like that. I'm just like, come on, guys! Like these guys are out yeah. there trying to make a living, you know, and they're having fun too, and you're like making it not fun. So, what are your thoughts on you know how to make football safer to play? Yeah. You know, I, I think the NF, I mean, obviously there is an elevated risk in playing football. Right. Um, you know, but I think it goes back to what we spoke about earlier of, of playing smart. And I really do think the NFL is, is trying to do the best they can on the injury side of putting together targeting rules and making sure that they keep, especially wide receivers, you know, coming across the middle, you know, with that backside safety or linebacker coming and lighting them up. Um, you know, it's, I, th- I honestly, I think it's on the player level, you know, the player goes out there and, and he's going to, he's going to go out there and, and he's going to try and hit the wide receiver as hard as he can. He doesn't care of getting a flag or getting fined, you know, I, it's, it, that's, <laughs> that's a tough question to answer because I obviously love football and I love watching football and I love playing yeah. football. Um, but, you know, it's it's definitely an issue that the NFL and college is addressing. And I think they're addressing it well, especially the companies that are making these, like, ridiculous helmets that they're putting so much research and development and market analysis into these helmets, into these pads, into the way that these players are playing and at what level they're playing, you know, with the cleats and, and yep. everything. You know, I think that's awesome. And I love that the... I love that that's getting down to the the levels of kids, you know, but I just want to make sure that the coaches are also at that young age 
teaching the right fundamentals. I think that is very important. And I would love to see the NFL spend more time trying to influence these younger coaches and these younger players to, to just let them know like, Hey, if you're playing at this level, there's a reason they're playing at this level is because they're very athletic, but they were also very smart and also a little bit of luck that they made it this far and they didn't get injured or they didn't have any serious injuries, you know, that to, to hinder their performance. Right. So put yourself in a position where you play smart and, you know, avoid injuries at all costs. Exactly. But and yeah. the thing is too, like you have to, you have to apply that to your defensive players and, and also your offensive players who are cut blocking and stuff like that. You know, you have to say, Hey, if you're going to make this block, you're going to make it because you're going to want to make that 10 yard gain into a 20 yard gain, you know, but you're not making the block to try and give this dude a concussion to get him out of the game or right. to tear his ACL or something. You know, I think that message needs to be more clear and more defined. So when players play, they play right and they don't play at some ridiculous level of trying to make the, you know, the clothesline hit where they you know, look cool. It, it actually makes me think of one of the plays. It was actually at the Ohio State game. We the wide receiver, one of our wide receivers made a crack block against the free safety. And it was one of the loudest hits that I think I've ever heard. And he came off the sidelines and he was the one that made the hit. And he came off the sidelines and his nose was bleeding like and it wasn't just a little bloody like it was bleeding pretty bad. Right. Like, he, like, Dude, he, he like he took the brunt of it, too. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, you could have made that block the same if you just went up and like blocked him and, and still hit him hard. But you didn't have to go in there and like sell your soul and like lead with your head. Right. You know, there's different ways to do this. Right. And, but I'm and sure that I'm, message. Yeah, I'm sure your sidelines erupted, you know, once he yeah. did that hit, like yeah, he was like reinforced for doing that. But I, I really like what you said earlier about how it's really on the players, like this whole player safety thing, because a lot, I, whenever I write about this or talk about this, I get a lot of flack for saying that, like, oh, no, the game's too fast. Like, you can't control little movements. I'm like, no, you can. Like, I've played football. Yeah. You can't tell me that you can't, you know, line up who you're going to – especially on a defenseless receiver. Like, exactly. these guys have no idea that you're there. So you're, you're telling me that you can't line up where you're going to hit them and not lead with your head. Or, like, I did a whole episode on uh, when Jory Nelson took a shot to the ribs in the playoffs. Yeah. I'm like, you can't tell me – that he did not do that on purpose. Like he could have put exactly. his head six inches to the right or six inches to the left, and Jordy Nelson would not have been injured. But he chose to stick his face in his ribs. I'm like, you don't, yeah. you can't argue against that. So, yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate you uh, <laughs> agreeing with me because it seems like no one else does. So, <laughs> no, I, dude, I I agree because I mean, I, I played, you played, you know. There's like you control like diving at a dude's legs or not, you know, you make that decision, you know, make that, you make that decision to either hit the dude in the ribs or tackle him properly. You know, you control that. Yeah. You know, part and, of, part of controlling your controllables. Yeah, exactly. And, and so that decreases your ability to get injured, but it also decreases the guy who's has the ball or the guy who you're tackling to get injured, you yeah. know? And, and I think, I do think that it's it's a lot of it is on the players. Yeah. How would you want him to tackle you in that situation? Think about that. Exit, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, where can people find authentic athletes on social media to stay up to date on your your upcoming interviews? Yeah, for sure, man. So, for the web, the website is authenticathletestheshow.com, and you can find us on Facebook and Instagram using the handle authentic athletes. And you can also find us on Twitter with the handle auth athletes. That's A U T H athletes. It wouldn't let me do authentic athletes because apparently it was too long. It's, a, it's okay. I'll link it up in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> auth athletes is, is easier anyway. It's quicker. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. This is how I end all my podcasts. Um, what's your de personal definition of toughness? Toughness, man. My definition, I think it's 90% mental. You know, they harped on us at Plebe Summer, actually, saying your body can go a lot farther than your mind thinks it can. So as long as you have that mentality to keep pushing yourself, I think is a true definition of toughness. It's not 
how many reps of 225 you can bench. You know, I really do think that toughness is almost all mental. And, and you're in control of that. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I love it, Greg. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and for you starting Authentic Athletes and creating that platform for athletes to learn and help them in that transition because as both you and I know, uh, it's it's not easy. And it's, no. it's, it's cool that we kind of connected in this world of uh, – you know, we both struggle with something and we're trying to prevent the suffering of others now. So for sure. Good thanks stuff, a man. lot, Kevin. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it.